It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like Sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Maura's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family through their Facebook page, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Maura Murray. February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Maura's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family through their Facebook page, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Maura Murray. Thank you. 
Welcome back to the Missing Mora Murray podcast. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you today? Uh, it's a beautiful day in Wormtown, and here we are. We recorded this episode a couple weeks ago, and it's with Curtis Murray, of course, Mora Murray's brother. And he came down to the studio here in Wormtown with his lovely girlfriend, Sarah, and we talked about what happened a few weeks ago in New Hampshire. Really interesting to get his take on it, being in the middle of it with law enforcement telling them what what to do, what was going on. They were called up there the day before, and you have his point of view from the family. And it was very interesting to have Sarah here, too, because she's a bit of a newcomer in comparison to, obviously, what the family's been going through for the past 15 years. And to to see her point of view and to hear her point of view was really, really fascinating for me. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that episode. And before we play that, just want to mention some announcements. Just wanted to let our international listeners know that Finding Maura Murray, the docu-series, is now available worldwide on Vimeo. So check it out. There are links in the show notes, or you can go to vimeo.com and search for Finding Maura Murray. That's Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O mentioned some announcements here we're doing a live show in nashua new hampshire on may 22nd at 6 p.m at the riverwalk cafe at 35 railroad square the show is called missing brianna maitland and we're doing it with a host of people from the brianna maitland case yeah we have bruce maitland brianna's father we have greg overacker lou barry so greg is the private investigator working on the case. Lou is a seasoned police officer of 30-plus years. Together, they've been working on this case for, I think, 13 years combined. And it's a rare opportunity to see Bruce and Greg and Lou be in front of the public and talk about this. And they're also going to talk about Private Investigations for the Missing, which is Bruce's nonprofit organization that aims to provide resources for loved ones when they have a missing person in their life. And the resources have run dry with law enforcement. On stage with us will be Chloe Cantor as well. So it's going to be a well-rounded conversation that we will wrap up with your questions and answers. And tickets for the live show are available on our website, crawlspace-media.com. You'll see the promo right there, the promo image right there on the front page. Just click that. It'll take you right to brown paper tickets where we're selling these for the May 22nd show in Nashua. And Chloe, of course, is a part of a brand new podcast from Crawl Space Media called True Crime Twins that is doing really well so far. So check that out wherever you listen to podcasts. But also, Lance, last week I told you a story about the time I was mugged at Knife Point. Very interesting story. On our Patreon. Really stuck with me. Yeah, on our Patreon. So check that out at patreon.com slash podcast. And you can become one of our patrons. We do weekly vault conversations where we talk about true crime current events, news from that week. Sometimes we'll read some comments from the episodes. Sometimes we'll tell some some personal stories. I got a really uh, a doozy for you this week, Lance. Well, I wanted to follow up your mug at Knife Point with the time I was jumped in Boston. And uh, this is these are the stories that you get when you sign up for the Patreon. And there are different tiers. So that's one tier. There's another tier where you will see some outtakes of the ridiculous ad reads we do, the Madison Reed ad reads. Those are the ones that usually uh, the the wagon loses the wheels at a certain point, and we we um, only put out a, a, a little snippet of the ridiculousness that actually goes on during uh, the the raw cut of these ad reads. And there is another tier where you can get a VIP experience if you come to one of our live shows, do a sort of VIP meet and greet after or before the show, and you can pick our brains or you can try to you know get some free Madison Reed out of it. <laughs> Okay, so check that out. That's available at patreon.com slash crawlspacepodcast. And also there's a donate button now on our site. If you would like to donate to what we do but you don't want to deal with Patreon, check it out at crawlspace-media.com. Thank you very much. All donations are appreciated. And Lance, we're going to CrimeCon in New Orleans, Louisiana in June. So when you sign up at crimecon.com, make sure to use promo code crawlspace19. When you register for uh, 10% off your badge price and you will be joining us on Podcast Row at CrimeCon in New Orleans. Right. If you're on the fence about going to CrimeCon, this 10% off the standard pass really should be the 
the catalyst that pushes you over the edge. And True Crime Podcast Festival in Chicago in July, Lance, July 13th. We are going to be in Chicago, and we got a great panel that's going to be moderated by Patrick Hines of True Crime Obsessed, so you don't want to miss that. This is July 13th, and it is at the Marriott in downtown Chicago on the Magnificent Mile, which I heard they're going to rename to the Crawl Space Mile. That's true. That's They already did that in preparation. So look for Magnificent Mile or the Crawl Space Mile. And check out the entire Missing Mora Murray archive at stitcherpremium.com. So sign up at Stitcher Premium and use code MMM for a free month. So thank you very much for listening, everybody. Follow us on social media. We're on, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you. Welcome to the Missing Mora Murray podcast. I'm Tim here with Lance, and we're here with Curtis Murray and Sarah. How's it going, everybody? Doing well. You? I'm doing great. Yeah. Yeah, a little exhausted, but we're here. We made a joke about this earlier. It's like the best day of the year outside. It's like 77 degrees, <laughs> and we invite you into this basically a dungeon <laughs> with limited airflow. It's all right. Who needs air and sunshine? We're all good. <laughs> yeah, that's good. We're all I'm good Irish. Support. I'm not good with sun anyways. <laughs> that's a good call. That's a good call. This is yeah. We can we can actually put some like dewy mist in here for you too. There you go. <laughs> Works for me. <laughs> But well, yeah. yeah, welcome back, and uh, we're happy to have you here, and um, it's been, I know, a crazy couple weeks, so uh, we just wanted to uh, talk to you about that, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was definitely uh, trying the last couple weeks. It was hectic and, you know, emotionally taxing, um, but, you know, it was we, it was just so much attention on it, and kind of short notice to go up and, you know, get the news or, you know, not really know what to expect. So take us back to what even brought Fred there in the first place to this location, this house. Well, I know Fred got a tip um, probably near the beginning of this whole thing that, um, you know, a contractor, a plumbing contractor may have seen human bones in the basement of this house. And then the next time somebody had gone in, the entire area had been covered with concrete and built up. Okay. So this was early on. This was in 2004, 2005? Yeah, it was in the first year. Okay. And um, he he wasn't allowed in the house and actually... The people that own the house wouldn't answer the door anytime he had gone there. Just for Fred, not for law enforcement? Just, just for Fred, and I, we don't know if law enforcement had ever interviewed those folks. Um, they had searched, supposedly, the outside of the property with dogs. Okay. But, um, yeah, Fred was never allowed in, uh, never spoke to anybody, nobody ever answered the door. And it wasn't until the property changed hands recently that uh, he was allowed into the house. Okay, so the a contractor who works in the area reported to Fred that they were there working on the house and they thought they saw bones and that's what brought Fred to the that location in the first place. Yes, and okay. he, he mentioned it to law enforcement in the beginning and then okay. it just never went anywhere from there. Okay. Okay, so you guys finally got in there back in December mm-hmm. and uh, and you were with Deb's Dogs, yeah. uh, who we've had on the show here and uh, worked with Eisen. It was the same team, the one that was on the documentary. Okay, and she was confident that they got hits? Yes. Cadaver the, hits? Yeah. Um, the dogs went over to an area in the basement near uh, an oil tank and a wall and very definitively laid down. And then that was confirmed about a week later with another dog. Um, who also hit the exact same spot and laid down. And then that was further corroborated by a ground penetrating radar report um, that Fred had had done. Okay, so two separate uh, dog handlers? Two separate handlers, two oh, separate wow. dogs. Yeah. Okay, great. Okay, and these were definitive hits? Definitive hits. Dogs barked and laid down on the, in the exact same spot both times. And there's actually a video of this. Yeah, is that the video that's out there right now that it's uh, provided by Julie Murray? Yes. Okay. In the video, there's a moment before one of the dogs sits where someone in the corner raises their arm. And there's going to be talk about this. I I don't think there's been talk about it yet, but I fully anticipate people are going to say that that person was signaling for the dog to sit. Have Have you seen that? I haven't, no. It could very well be somebody in the corner simply saying, like, my dog's over there or something's over like. Look at him over there, but yep. it looked like the the hand goes up. Yeah. See, I wasn't there for it, so I'm not sure what exactly was done. Or... Was that the one in December? The video? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was the December one, and that was That's Deb's right. dogs. Yeah, because it took quite a while for the actual search to take place. Yeah. So. And then there was another one anyway. I don't. I don't know that we've seen video of that one. I know. I think we've only seen video of one, but um, 
I think that's pretty compelling different dog handler because we know I think um, dogs are kind of only as good as their handler. You know, like you can have all the uh, information, but you really got to analyze it, yeah. interpret the information. And both both handlers, I mean, Deb Ash is at the top of the game is always the other the other person that uh, we used. Okay. And their credentials are pretty ironclad. Yeah. yeah. And we've had people who have emailed us and said that, you know, while the cadaver dogs are really, really good, there's a misconception that they're 100%. Yeah, and, the, and and so having the second dog firms that up. Yeah, but it's really hard to come up with a reason why nothing was found. Yeah, it's. I mean, it all depends on the search and everything else. Like they dug in an exact spot. I know Fred was disappointed they didn't go a little further, particularly underneath the oil tank. There was that was a big concern for him. So they dug straight down and did not go off to the side, where he figured they may have found something. Or into the wall, because if you watch the videos, the dogs also climb up the wall and then sit. Um, yeah, the dog kind of jumps up to the wall, yeah. Yeah. Was any GPR done underneath the oil tank, like with a handheld or anything? Not that I know of, no. Yeah, that might be tough to do, I guess, if it's under the oil tank. Okay, yeah. so um, so does Fred still think that there's a possibility that there's something there? There are still some questions, Yeah. Um, just based on, you know, our meetings, yeah. you know, about the search and everything else. Okay. You know, Fred was pretty um, exasperated about some things that weren't done. Yeah. You know. Okay. Well, let, let's t- take us through the the uh, the day uh, last last Wednesday, I guess, um, if you don't mind, or, or starting on Tuesday um, when they called you and uh, and asked you to come up there. So Julie got the call um, from a victim advocate for the AG's office, uh, basically informing her that they were going to dig the next day on Wednesday. Uh, that was at about noon or one-ish on Tuesday. So Julie then called me. I made arrangements to be there. Julie made arrangements to fly in the next morning, and Fred left immediately and went straight up. And you guys like took off work and things like that. Yeah, and yeah, should, totally. Yeah. yeah, my my job was great about it. Um, we were able to get a hotel and just get up there. I got there at like one thirty in the morning after work because I worked till eleven o'clock. So okay. And uh, so we woke up the next morning, went to the scene. Uh, there was a lot of media attention there. Obviously, um, there were people. Um, just from the Maramari community around, uh, Joe Davey was there and somebody donated an RV just to give Fred a place to stand. Very be, cool. Yeah. And be wow. warm. And yeah. there were sandwiches and coffees and stuff. Nice. And then from there, it was basically a waiting game. I know Fred wasn't allowed to park near the property mm-hmm. and, you know, he's got a broken foot. That was kind of tough. Um, and also we had a trained forensic anthropologist on site that we requested be allowed to observe mm-hmm. and she wasn't. And we're not really sure why. What would she be observing? What just would she be just the for? Uh, the methods. Okay. Because she's, you know, that's exactly what she does. She's, she does digs for bodies, et cetera, and for forensic purposes. So who contacted her and when? Did Fred contact her? Fred had contacted uh, her company um, probably a few weeks prior to all of this taking place because there was some question as to whether or not the search was going to happen at all. So we were gearing up to actually do it privately because we didn't want to wait. And then I think some of the media pressure and the public interest kind of prompted this whole process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the homeowners were really gracious in letting it happen in the first place. Yeah. So, and they were great for that. Um, so, so Fred made the connection with this person weeks ago. I'm just impressed that she was able to get up there with such short notice along with everybody else. Yeah. Because she's from New Hampshire. So it wasn't like a crazy okay, trip cool. for her. Okay. Um, so she was, she was on site the whole day. Had she ever worked with law enforcement before? Yeah. Yeah, she's, um, I believe her company certifies some um, digs, et cetera, and, you know, trains and some of the methods. See, I think that she could have just walked in there. I mean, that she probably couldn't have. I'm being yeah. sort of hyperbolic. But if she's already been a part of other searches and had law enforcement, can you know, approval in other searches and is accredited, I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around why an objective observer who is also being observed, not doing anything, like making sure like she's not getting in there and starting to do her digging on her own. Yeah. I'm just, I'm wondering what the problem would have been. That's, that's exactly what we thought. It's like, we just wanted somebody in observing the dig to represent us. Yeah. Just to have eyes on it. Yeah. See, I've been trying to see it from both sides just to get a clear picture of it. Uh, And something that you were talking about earlier was, how you were uh, alerted to this the day before, so it feels like it's really short notice. But if, I, if I'm if i thinking about it, I'm thinking, well, I probably would have been really upset to hear law enforcement tell you two weeks before. 
because that just opens up a window for the you know a precedent to be set that shouldn't be set you know if you if you are doing something that is you're you're labeling a criminal investigation you should probably keep it as tightly uh in-house as possible so thinking about that yeah i can see them not telling you until the very last minute but i i don't see why fred couldn't park on in in the yard and i i'm having a tough time wrapping my head around a, an objective silent not even an objective observer just a, a rep from the family who's accredited and all, all has worked with law enforcement before yeah and her i mean it was her company she, they they volunteered to actually do the dig in a way that we could then turn the findings over to law enforcement mm. um you know if something was actually found yeah okay so so you guys arrived on on senior uh waiting i imagine and there was like a helicopter there there were like fbi agents i think over a dozen agents um in total who were walking in and out of the house um at least was reported so i mean what was going through your head at that point i mean it's it was just kind of an emotional roller coaster you're sitting there wondering you know what if this is it you know because we we allowed ourselves to hope this could be it um, I don't know how you how you couldn't or how you wouldn't have done that, you know. We felt like this was probably the closest we had come. Yeah. And we thought this could be it. It was the first time in the history of this whole thing that talking to Fred privately, I heard him say, I really think we found her this time. Yeah. So he was really hoping for this. Yeah. It feels like such a gut punch because we've never had Strelzen come out and say anything public. We've never had him come out and say uh, a criminal investigation. He's never said he's never contacted your family and said we need you guys to come up here. That's never happened. And when we were watching the the uh, press briefing, it just hit all at once. We were like, "This is a media game now. There, it's a media game. They're playing a media game, and they they wanted and." Some people will call it uh, they felt the pressure from the public, but I really feel like part of it was them saying, "Listen." We're going to come out and we're going to say to the public, we did this before. We found nothing. Everyone's saying we're not doing our job. So here we are doing our job. We even brought 12 people in here. We even had the family come up. Still nothing, like we said before. You know, it felt like that tone. And it was, I think we were watching that video and we were just like, this is so weird. Yeah, it was tough because even privately, we met before the official press conference. And that was the air in that room. Um it was just basically, we could kind of, we told you so, and that that was it. it was, so, okay, so they, they met with you, Strelzin, and I, I take it a couple other uh, people from the Attorney General's office or cold case unit? Yeah, there were some representatives from the state police and um, the FBI and, and Strelzin. It's like eight people total, I think, in the room. Strelzin in the middle. Yeah, okay. Eight people in total, each with a different expertise. Okay, and so that was after the dig, um, and then that was over at the... Uh, uh, courthouse? Yeah, the Graffin County Courthouse. Okay. And we were briefed that they were going to have a press conference at about noon Yep. Um, that day. Okay. Um, and so they invited us in the room and they had chairs set up and basically told us, hey, why don't you have a seat? Which when you say, here to have somebody invite you into a room and say, hey, can you have a seat? You're expecting they're going to tell you news that you would have to be sitting for. Um, so that was kind of shocking. It was weird because we all sat down one by one and then they stayed standing and I was like, okay, now we're looking up at you. We're ready. And then for Strelzen to stand their arms crossed and say, we found nothing. And it was like, wow, I didn't think that's why you asked me to sit down. Yeah, that was that was tough because it's there was no introduction. There was no oh, really? niceties, no nothing like that. It was literally just, well, basically we found nothing. That's all he said. And then just we're waiting for you guys to react basically. Like, mm-hmm. uh, And yeah. what time was this at? Uh, the, it was 2.30. 2.30. Yep. And they had been in there since what time? Uh, probably 8 o'clock is when, when things started. And that was the first time, the only time they've ever gone in there to do any digging? Yeah. Okay. And um, what did Fred do at that point? Yeah. Uh, Fred was, I mean, you could visibly see and hear him deflate. Yeah. You could, I mean, he was really convinced this, this could be it. Uh, he was, you know, Fred's usually very vocal and he's, you know, not afraid to interrupt or to interject and he was basically stoic. That's the first time I've really seen him basically defeated for a, for a moment. I couldn't even, like, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around this, like, from your point of view and from Fred's point of view. Like, how do you how do you think of this other than you're being lied to? I don't, because I don't know if you're being lied to. No one knows who's lying to, to whom. But 
how how do you not go in that direction and say they either didn't do it properly or they're lying because you've had the cadaver dogs hit you had the an anomalous um something anomalous under the surface of the concrete from the gpr scan and to have two cadaver dogs false falsely hit and have nothing that is um of evidentiary value based on the gpr scan it, it was it is it really just a swing and a miss that's where a lot of our questioning came in because he backed it up by saying, you know, we re- didn't really have a good reason to come here today. We didn't have a great reason to do this, but pretty much we did you a favor is the way it kind of came off. And he went on to tell us that they also had two dogs go in there prior and their dogs didn't hit and then turned back to us and said, your dogs really aren't credible. You know, we feel that they could have hit on a dead rat in the wall. Well, that's not possible. Well, maybe it is. Who knows? That's 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 sort what of he thing. said. Yeah, that was he said they could have hit on a dead rat in a wall. Yes. Yeah, they, that's. I mean, I don't know. I've only known Deb from what she's done with us personally, but a cadaver dog doesn't even hit on a dead dog. Like, no, it won't. It, it's a. It's dead human. Yeah, it's. I mean, if if a, if a cadaver a dog hit on a dead animal. You couldn't bring a cadaver dog to many locations where you're going to find a body. Or or some, yeah, exactly. It's going to be all over the place. Collapsed buildings, abandoned buildings, yeah. things like that. If you're going in there with these dogs and they find anything that happens to have died, well, that really isn't a credible use of that resource. We wouldn't do it if these dogs hit on dead rats. That would not be used. And so for him to say that, and then I'm sitting there taking it one step further, did you touch the wall? Mm-hmm. No, so, they didn't. I mean, you you guys never assumed they would they would tell you they didn't find anything, right? I mean, no, the, you guys you like must I have said, been we in were shock at and, that point. And it was it was it's very hard to be in that situation, especially leading up to it, because you're sitting there. No, no scenario is a good one. Yeah, either right. This is over, and my sister's buried in a basement, and we have to find her, or it's not over, and we still have to search. And yeah. this this isn't over. We have no closure. So that was kind of the emotional piece to this whole thing. It's how do you cope with that? You asked him if he touched the wall? Oh, yeah. And he said he didn't? I asked several questions, and Fred did too. Fred wanted a lot of clarification on exactly where did you dig. Did you go under the tank, which is one of Fred's biggest things, is if we couldn't get GPR under there, if you couldn't get there, well, why didn't you dig under there? Because we don't know what's there. Or core sample or something. Anything. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you can go down and then over. I mean, the the GPR company that we used has been talking about in different locations if it's in, like the foundation is just a cement slab and something's in the middle, they were talking about, yeah, we could go down here and go in. It just takes a lot more work. But and that that was the foundation of a house. I mean, he was talking like 12 feet in or something. But uh, a oil tank is like, what, four feet by like six feet or something? Yeah. I don't even know. Even it if was it's just 10 feet by 10 feet. You can go down. You can you can go as close as possible to get some sort of soil sample or something that would have like some biological residue on it. So, but was Strelzen ever even in the house? Did he, was he actually on the scene? He was on scene he at was. one point. I don't know okay. if he was physically in the house or not. Yeah. Okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I know the state police were in there, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure if he was actually in, yeah. inside searching. Well, there has been some talk about that, that wall, that section of wall and how people are now labeling it as like a, uh, like a false wall. And from the video, it looks like the it doesn't look like a, a false wall. It looks like a, a wall that had like a like an electrical panel or something on yeah, it. Yeah, piece of wood on it. And yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, and people are saying that the dogs were like crazy climbing up the wall. Yeah, is, and that... that's that that is what happened. They climbed up the wall and then laid down. Yeah. Kind of. Um, and the other thing we brought up too is was there any soil testing, any DNA testing of any kind? Yeah. Because I mean, from what I understand, dogs can hit on ash or you know yeah. just you know, liquids or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, from decomposition. Uh, we brought up, was there any, is there any going to be any DNA testing, soil testing, anything, concrete testing, anything at all? And we were told no, and that's not possible. We have no reason to do that. We won't do it. Well, you can get that privately done. And we're exactly. offering our yeah. services. We we got the other properties uh, soil tested. And, yeah, we're and more than happy to do that. More yeah. than happy to do it. And the cost is not very significant at all. It's a couple hundred bucks to do concrete. Exactly. Well, concrete's much more expensive. But soil, if somebody's buried, they're probably buried in soil with the concrete on top. Yeah. So that the soil is what you want. And we the- specifically asked about the soil and the concrete. And not only did we ask that specifically to Strelzen, 
I then turned and asked the FBI agent the same question, and the answer from both of them was the same, that there's no reason to test for organic matter or anything else. Well, they're, they're coming from it from a law enforcement point of view. The, Strelzin said there was no probable cause to go in there, which is fine. You know, there's no probable cause. And now you officially know. they said there's nothing in there's there. Nothing. So right. I guess from so, that yeah. POV they wouldn't do any testing, any right. further testing. But the Did- precursor to this whole thing was... We had no prob- probable cause to go in, mm-hmm. but basically we went in and did this anyways to appease you. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if we have specific requests, why don't you just help us do them? Great even point. Even if you give us a bag of soil to test ourselves, Yeah. what is the problem? What's the harm in that? But you still have contact with the homeowner, right? The floor has been repaired already. Oh, it's been well, closed and you know, I'm not sure if they're, they're, I believe they're trying to sell the home, so I'm not sure they... I don't know if they have reason to let us back to do that or well, what. Well, uh, the offer is there, is what I'm saying. Yeah. If if the offer is, is there and you guys take us up on it, that's that's we would love to do that. We have no problem going in there and taking a, a sample and then repairing again. Yeah. Did, uh, did you get any word on why the FBI was uh, on the scene as well? I think it was just because they had more resources than the state police did at that point. Gotcha. And they okay. were, you know, called up from Washington. Oh, really? So they came. From Washington? Yeah. They came from Virginia to do this. Wow! So it feels like it feels like Strelzin's like I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. pull out all the stops. Did it, does it feel like overkill to you? Yeah, it kind of does because if you had no probable cause, you could have communicated that to us or right. something. Let us do it privately. You just it just felt like it was an, almost like an I told you so. It feels like Strelzin was like I can't take it anymore. Call them in Washington. They want to see something happen. We'll make something. Bring me a helicopter. He's like Gary Oldman in The Professional. I, I don't understand why there was a helicopter there. But, I mean. If up, someone was running. Until they searched, though, on that Wednesday, they didn't know that there was, you know, they didn't know it was going to be overkill because they didn't know that they weren't going to find anything. But there's FBI agents that aren't in Washington. It just, That's true. It's crazy. Yep. Yeah, I don't know that protocol, but, yeah. So, I mean, they brought in all the resources and all of this, but we're still left with questions, which is frustrating. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay. Do you mind if I ask a couple questions about the location again? Sure. I love minutia. The oil tank, is it placed within the concrete or on top of the concrete? It's on top of it. It's and I believe there's the another concrete. pad. I believe there's another pad. You might be able to see it from the video. I okay. think there's another pad that it's actually sitting on. Oh, okay. Okay. And it's right in the corner to the yeah. right of where... The hits were. And that was Fred's questioning again and again was, well, how big of an area? How close? Exactly how close did you get to the oil tank? How far did you go? And he was even going as far as drawing diagrams on the floor in the room in front of Strelzen. And it got to the point where I was like, Strelzen's pissed that he's questioning him right yeah. now. He almost had this air of like, I'm going to roll my eyes at you if you open your mouth one more time. And that's when another gentleman actually opened his mouth and said, hey, I'm not going to give you the exact details, but I will comment. And it just felt like that man was trying at that point to give some type of level of comfort to Fred and just say, hey, look, I'm not going to give you the exact, but I'll give you an idea of what I remember. And I was like, oh, okay, here we go. But it definitely was not anywhere near the oil tank or the wall, not as it was described to us. So who was there to tell them where to dig? Well, they went based on the GPR report. Almost exactly. So okay, they went with where the anomaly was found. They dug okay. exactly right there. Okay. Oh, I see. They, okay. they went straight down in the exact, a little bit wider than the actual anomaly and went straight down. Okay. And they did so there was a lot of water, so they were actually like pumping water out as they were going and trying to go down. There was a lot of water. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Like, like uh, groundwater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The river's right there. Yeah. 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 Something that Deb had told us that we were talking about when they said that there was nothing and we were just trying to wrap our head around how cadaver dogs could make a error is Deb had said that if you were to bring a cadaver dog to a graveyard, they won't sit down on the grave because that's not where... The, um, the decomp goes. The decomp goes. It's Due more, to the groundwater. Yeah. Right. She said it's more like, it's more like if you were to spray perfume in a room... 
if there's no air going in the room, then you can smell the perfume. But if there's some air, you can maybe catch it here and catch it there. So if there was some sort of, um, like, like, I don't know, like a graveyard or something on that property at some point, and the groundwater sort of brought the decomposition underneath the house over the course of years and years, then dogs could hit. They they might not hit. They, they could be just a weird spot for them to, to wrap their sense around. Or it, it could actually all funnel to one area and even be Pool more val- valuable. Yeah, yeah potentially. Yeah. yeah. But that doesn't seem to be what happened Yeah, uh, if that's the scenario. Yeah. But, but again, then we go back to just like the gut punch thing, which is like, really? You're going to look at that property. And when you look at the owners, if we're thinking it's the same owners or owner, like, and you look at that person's background, the location to the accident, can something just be like It like left an a answer? lot of unanswered questions. There's a lot of unanswered yeah. questions left behind. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. And it's, it, it's one of those things like we really were hopeful this time. Yeah. This, this one hurt a lot. It really did because we allowed ourselves, particularly Fred, allowed, he allowed himself to think, I found her. I'm bringing her home. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty clear from the videos, unfortunately. Yeah. He was hurt and he couldn't contain it. I mean, so am I. I mean, the whole community was, was right there, like with you guys at that, at that moment and just completely, obviously to different scales, but uh, deflated as well. Um, What, were you out there for the press conference too? Uh, I was there. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, you know, I was in the, in the crowd in the back. Yeah. What was that like? I was just, it was almost like, you know, rewatching what we had just gone through. Yeah. You know, it was the same tone, the same, you know, way of speaking and the same information. Yeah. Um, It was just, I wish that we didn't have to have such a standoffish relationship with the AG's office. Mm -hmm. You know, it's at this point, I really feel that the state police are making genuine efforts to mend our working relationship. And that we're trying to work collaboratively to move forward. I do believe that. Um, But those efforts start from the top and yeah. that standoffishness is hard to accept especially in in such a sensitive situation like i said there were no niceties at all it was like a, a arms folded you know this is what we found we told you we there wasn't anything we did this because you wanted us to do it and that's it so what happened with um during the press conference with John John Smith was asking questions and mm-hmm. they had an interaction I guess I yeah. take it. Uh, John, you know, was questioning the 13 minutes between uh-huh. the response to the accident scene and the call for the EMS. And what um, did uh what was, what was Strelzen saying? There's just it's very obvious that there's some deep-seated resentment there. That there's hard feelings and basically Strelzen alluded to the fact that John's part of the problem. Okay, yeah. So, so I'm just trying to get a get an idea of where this uh, animosity might come from. Um, so, so he said to John in front of everybody, in front of the cameras, that you're part of the problem. Yeah. And was that because John just kept going back and forth, and like, was he following the rules of asking questions? And he was. Other he, reporters. He ask? was. Okay. You know, in the, he was in the back. He was quite a ways away. He did point. Yeah. You know, that was kind of a catalyst. Um, that he, he pointed at, at Strelzen? Yeah. No, Strelzen definitely did not like that. Um, yeah. But it was just, he, John has a way of asking hard questions, and it was it was just, it's very obvious that there's a lot of hard feelings there. Yeah. Well, John has to tread lightly, because you just said that you're developing a working relationship with state police, and you've come this far, you've come too far to have John start flying off the handle and getting himself almost kicked out of a press briefing when he could address the issues in a different way that would be a little bit more diplomatic. I think it would make the, yeah, all the, all the members of law enforcement work together with you guys. Yeah. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to point at the, at the assistant attorney general. I mean, I've sat with John prior. John's very emotionally vested in this for good reason. I mean, he and Fred are close and he's been part of this for a very, very long time. Um, and emotions ran high. He was as hurt by it as anybody else, you know, and he's sitting there watching Fred, who was close to suffer and, mm-hmm. you know, all of this stuff unfolding. And he just kind of let it get the better of him. And, yeah. you know, I, we talked to him about it afterwards and, you know, it's just one of those things. You just get carried away a little bit and that's understandable given the circumstances. John Smith got carried away with something? It's weird. No way. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think to your point, Lance, I think, I think it, it yeah, he, uh, he might be. He might not be helping with that uh, angle because of um, him not being able to control himself a little bit. 
Yeah, and it's. I mean, that was more geared at the the AG's office. Yeah. I mean, I know, like I said, I think we're gonna make a genuine effort, Julie yeah. and myself, to work with state police going yeah. forward and improve the communication. That's been a lot of what we've talked about. Yeah. Um, because at this point, we don't have a direction to go in, and right. we have to use anything at our disposal. And working with law enforcement is our best option. We have to work closely with them. Um, it's just how we have to proceed from here. Now you said that there was, uh, you know, further questions that were raised about the the property, and I got the sense that there was still some plans that that are in play. Uh, will there be more digging privately? Will there? We don't know where we stand with it right now. Okay, because we haven't reached out to the homeowners yet. We kind of wanted to give time and yeah. you know figure out where they stood and go from there. We're not sure where they are with the selling process of the house or anything like that. So we're just trying to figure that piece out. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I mean, our, our GPR guys, they will definitely hear this and we can alert them to all this before it goes out. And, uh, if you guys are interested in taking, well, I have no doubt. Whatever, I mean, those yeah. guys are great. I mean, they, they, they really are, are. Yeah. I mean, such and, good people. Yeah. And they will, uh, they, they've already volunteered. So they would, they would absolutely, uh, help you guys out or whatever, whatever you guys wanted to do. I'm sure within reason, within their capability, they would do. Yeah. No, I, I know that and truly yeah. appreciate it. To maybe try to put a positive light on it. The past couple of years have done a lot, I think, with a relationship between yourself, the you know your family and law enforcement, uh, the community at large that cares about this case, and also in eliminating elements that have always been out there. Uh, so I'm just trying to force a positive light here, I think, that no one's talking about the A-frame house. No one's talking about Rick Forcier's house so much. And now when people aren't going to be talking about this location, if indeed there is nothing there, at least everything is sort of being checked off. And by doing that, you're, you're honing in a light on what is going to be the truth at some point. So by, by going there, and I know it's disappointing and it sucks, but going there and, and being so confident that it's something and having it be nothing and you can you can do more tests. We can test soil, and if it does come back negative, and there is nothing there, then there, then the answer's out there somewhere. It's just not right there. Yeah, it has it has to be. You know, the, like I said, Mark can't just have disappeared. There has to be some kind of an answer. Yeah, a lead, an answer, something. And you don't get the answer without checking off everything else. Yeah, like, and it's it's crazy because you think about the, this community of people. Like for me, being here right now talking about this is actually kind of therapeutic. Good. Oh, because good. it helps so I don't have to sit and deal with this in my head without letting it out, letting people know how I feel. And having the support of all of these people is tremendously helpful. It great. really is. And I truly appreciate it. I know my family does as well. That's great. It's great to hear. Anytime you want to come on, obviously, please come anytime, on down. Anytime it's yeah. a gorgeous day outside <laughs> and you're like, this yeah. stupid sun. I got my motorcycle sitting in, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> under its cover just waiting for me. Poor dogs <laughs> laying down in the corner just yeah. looking out the window. Like, guys, come back. But it um, was cool. One of the last things that we had talked about like on the way here because we were just kind of like doing our own little pep talk and we were saying, you know, he mentioned how it's therapeutic for him to be talking to you guys. And we're like, well, Maura was going to school to be a nurse. She clearly wanted to take care of people. She wanted to heal people. She wanted to give back. And it's interesting that throughout this process, there has been a lot of healing for people. There has been a lot of giving back. There has been a lot of people that have found their purpose and found their way. And even like spending the time up there, and I know I'm fairly new to this whole thing, but meeting these different people that have been so invested in what's going on. And like you mentioned, John Smith, for instance, we're all sitting down at dinner and him and Fred, there is a bond there. There's a very special bond. He truly cares about Fred. And I looked at John and I was like, you know, thank you for being here and thank you for doing this. And in general, thank you for standing for social injustice. And he said, I do it because my mother told me I should. And my father told me I should, so I stand for the right thing, even if I'm an unpopular guy. And I was like, you know what? Cool, man. You just won me over because you could have said you wanted to do this to be famous, and you didn't. And so, like, you think about that as people aren't involved in this for the wrong reasons. Like, the community came together to heal each other and help each other and stand for what they believe in. And yeah. that's cool. Yeah. No, it is cool. 
I hope sometime John Smith might apologize for posting our addresses online. <laughs> Everyone was... has a lot of apologizing, but when emotions roll high, stupid things happen. Yeah. But in the mm-hmm. end, all those different emotions got us to where we're at. It, you in like we were talking as a family, like Julie's like, Okay, you're a bulldog, you're the pit bull, you're this, you're that like and we were kinda like going through like how our different personalities help each other. We each have a strong suit. And so you do need each of those pieces to carry like something like this forward. You need that much energy, the good and the bad and the oopsies and all that stuff. It's going to happen. Um, yeah. So like, uh, as far as, um, like conspiracy stuff, uh, like police conspiracy stuff, like with John, like would, uh, has he come off of that yet? I mean, what is what? And, and I guess, I guess it's a question to you guys too. Like what, where does that stand? We really don't know where we stand right yeah. now. It's, we have to figure out what factual leads to we can find and yeah. follow them. Um, I don't really know. I don't really think there's a m- massive conspiracy from the AG's office down. That's yeah. it's improbable, and um, it's just it's, uh, imagining something like that would work for this long. It doesn't yeah. seem possible. Um, I just want you know to have a direction and yeah. to figure something out and figure a direction to go from here. But I mean, like, what is it with, I mean, with, and I'll stay with John because like, uh, like he thinks there's a, if he thinks there's a police conspiracy, but also more is in there. So what, like, uh, somebody took Mora and then broke into that house and buried her. Like, I, I don't, I just don't understand w- the logic on that. I mean, there's too many pieces to fit together to make everything work without having a full view. Yeah. You know, cause right now we don't have a full view of what's going on. Yeah. I, I guess I'm just, just, just focusing on the, on the John thing because, uh, like you said, standing for what he believes in. And I think that is great. But like this guy has like hashtag police conspiracy on his Twitter bio. Like, uh, where, where's the conspiracy now? I, I wish guess. you said accountability because yeah. if you change the word conspiracy to accountability and say, I'm not out here to prove that you have a conspiracy. I'm out here to prove that you weren't always accountable for all of your actions. And maybe somewhere along the line, you screwed up. And maybe it was one thing that you screwed up on, but your one screw up that you're not taking accountability for may have created this conspiracy. So if you look at it like that. I don't think that anyone would deny that the police have made uh, mistakes. I think officially they don't probably say that they have, like on the record. But, I mean, come on, of course they have, you know. And those mistakes don't mean murder. You know. No, and that's it's just trying to piece the puzzle together, and yeah. we we just can't do that because we don't have all all the pieces yet. Yeah. Um, Speaking of pieces, we've had um, a name, and we can maybe uh, beep this name out, I guess. But uh, the name beep <laughs> <laughs> the name <laughs> has always been circulating in the um, you know in in the community because he is a maniac mm-hmm. um, and he has killed people before, mm-hmm. and he. Or at least one person that we know. At of. least, at least one person that we know and of threatened yeah. somebody else immediately afterwards, and yeah. has claimed he's killed uh, many more. Right, and he used to live right where Rick Forcier claimed that he saw Mora that night. Yeah, right by Hummingbird Lane. Yeah, and so his name has always been out there, but you know we couldn't figure out like, okay, well, where was the opportunity? And no one really knows what he was doing. That like, there's no. Um, evidence of him being questioned at all because like why would he be questioned he's you know he, he they don't just don't randomly go and question people because they're they're bad guys uh but recently we've been getting more emails and more stories from people saying that they've spoken to other people who lived in the area and they say oh yeah it's been known that is the one that did this it's known it's common yeah. we had someone we had someone email someone that she knows had a friend who was randomly at this restaurant and Mora's name came up and they said, yeah, I'm from that area. And then they got really quiet about it and they said, everyone knows did it. And they got really like taken aback by this, this other person's lack of knowledge that it, they didn't know who it was. I mean, on the radar for a while. Yeah. I know that. Um, I don't know. We haven't been able to tie him to it per se. I don't know how far law enforcement's gone with questioning him, but that's something... If we're going to, co- you know, be collaborative going forward, we can bring that up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We know that he doesn't live there anymore. No, he has moved. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, that whole area is just scary how much, just how many crazy people there are right there. Yeah, There's it's a, a spider's of, web. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. Um, it's just hitting a jackpot for dirtbags and 
a particular corner. It's it's insane. So yeah. um, that's definitely a name that has come up. I don't know if that's just you know rumor or what. And like I said, it's it's we're gonna have to ask law enforcement how far they've gone in examining that. Yeah, I mean it's definitely rumor, and I don't want to be like a alarmist about it, but the name just started to come up more often and it wasn't in connection with the current uh, search and the current lead. And I mean, we just keep hearing that name and we were actually thinking about going to contact the people who live, live now in his old house. There was, there was rumors that he built a shed again with the concrete right after. Yeah. Apparently they laid concrete down and he put a shed on top of the concrete and on his property. I mean, any lead we can follow, is is productive mm. you know even if it's like you said to check it off to rule it out um because there's still too many directions we could go with this thing so everything we check off is you know another distraction we don't have to worry about yeah yeah um do you have any other ideas like uh you know internally do you guys have any other direction besides uh i guess finishing the job in this house and uh any other leads that come in that's kind of where our focus is now and just you know, keeping our ears open and following what we can. Okay, um, cool. I know, for, you know, Fred's back back on this is stronger than ever. It was a a serious hit this this last couple of weeks, but um, we can't give up on this. It's like I said, my sister's too special. She's just we we can't give up on it, and we won't give up on it. So we just have to keep pressing and you know follow what comes next. You know, and keeping talking about it and keeping it alive and in people's minds and moving forward is what's important right now community is here behind you what's your thoughts on uh, cecil smith's suicide um that is the timing was suspect it was crazy it's just sad that uh, these kind of things happen you know it could be totally unrelated we don't know um it's just it's sad that they'd had to come to that uh, i'm not sure you know be, people may think that he's involved because of it i'm not sure um but it's just because of the timing of it that makes it suspect sure you know yeah and we know that he had alzheimer's yeah and i don't know if we have to you know say what the uh symptoms and what comes with alzheimer's can cause you to do but it can definitely cause you to kill yourself it can definitely cause you to do things and you don't realize that you're doing them it can cause you to see things and the timing the timing could have been appropriate for him if he's been paying attention to people saying that he didn't do his job that night and he caused Mora to if he just did his job a little better she she might not have disappeared and that that's something that could have been going through his head as well i think it's a shame that people are putting out there that that he was visited by law enforcement and then shot himself as if though as if there was some sort of you know impending charge coming down on him for you know, abducting Mora when all the facts are not there and you have to like really feel for, for his family as well. And I, I think I personally think that it's a, it's horrible. It was a, it was a tragic uh, way that he did it. And to, to have people say that, like to even like, you can think it, that's one thing you can think it. And, and I did think it, I was, I thought I, Tim and I had this conversation and we were like, what if he had something to do with this and it got to him but then we started talking about alzheimer's and then you look up alzheimer's and i don't know if you've ever met anyone with alzheimer's like that's i mean he could be fine one minute and then think that he's seeing giant spiders coming to kill him and his family and he and he's got a you know he was a police officer he knows how to use a weapon and you know and he just does it maybe he doesn't want to see his family to see him deteriorating but i sorry to rant on that but to see people put it out there as if it's like like oh, definitively yeah. connected. You yeah. Mean. Like, it's just or, like, it's, it's just another one of those like terrible things that comes along with this. Yeah. There's no facts to back it up right now. And yeah. it's, his family has to be in an incredible amount of pain and it's important, especially for us to be respectful of it. It's, you have to be respectful of that. I don't want to say one way or the other, there's no facts to prove that. I don't want to assume the worst. It's not up to me to assume he had anything to do with it. It's up to, you know, the appropriate authorities to prove it. Yeah. If they haven't, that's, you know, that's all we can go with. You know, on the subject of whether things are connected or not, uh, Bill Rausch was um, indicted recently. I think it was the same day. Um, it was last Wednesday. Uh, how, how are you guys, uh, I, I guess I'll just ask you as a family or just how do you feel about it? Like what, 
What are you guys thinking about that? I feel it's totally unrelated and it's been blown out of proportion. Um, I, ju- I just think the focus on Bill has been unfair. Um, and I think the activities of his personal life recently have nothing to do with 2004. It just has nothing to do with it. Um, and it's just unfair that he's been scrutinized to that point. You know, his decisions in his personal life are his decisions. And if he's made mistakes, those are his to deal with. But I don't think it has anything to do with my sister. And I believe Julie and the rest of the family shares that. Opinion. Okay, good. Good to know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's important to let the legal process play out with it, like innocent until proven guilty. Um, and, you know, he's got some legal things ahead, days, you know, ahead of him. So uh, we'll watch how it plays out. But yeah, like you said, likely not related at all. Would you feel differently about the allegations against Bill if it wasn't James Renner who had brought it all to light? Um, I, I don't think I would even know about it, to be to be honest, I don't that's think I, I wouldn't even have heard of it had James Renner not brought, brought it to light. That's very true. Um, but it doesn't matter who's bringing it to light. You just look at the timing of it. It's it's just it's too far removed. You know, I mean, we know where Bill was when Mara went missing. We know how he got to the scene to search with us. I was with him and his family while we did. Um, and it's it that has been ruled out for a very, very long time. in Our eyes, mm-hmm. you know, his mother and Bill and his family were great. In the in the initial in the initial searches, I was with them poster posting flyers everywhere from, you know, Woodsville all the way to Lincoln and Conway and everywhere else. Did it ever occur to you, even now, like thinking back on it, that he could have possibly left the search for a period of time to catch up with Mora, and that fight ensues, bad things happen, and he's gotten away with something for fifteen years? Did it, Thinking back, like, do you, did, do you ever, did, was there an opportunity where you're like, oh, he could have gone out. He could have done that. I don't think so, because I would think, you know, how would he have found her? That was the most res- irresponsible question I've ever asked, by the way. <laughs> and, Feel and, free. There's long list. and there's a long list. <laughs> that is a high bar. <laughs> Feel free to not answer it. Yeah, there's, there's no way, you know, I, I don't see that happening. There was too much attention on that scene and on everybody there and just in general. You yeah. know, cell phone records, et cetera. It's, it's somewhere along the line that would have come up. Right. So how would he have found her, I guess, is is you, you can play it out. You know, like how, how would he have found her? Well, they both had burner phones. Well, OK, that that's the answer. If if he found her. Right. Or or the on their last conversation, they talked about it. Meet you in five days or whatever. Um, you know, I'm going to stage a disappearance and then meet you afterwards. It all seems unlikely, though. It does. You know, I, I don't I don't think that Bill had anything to do with this. I really don't. I don't think the timing lines up. I don't think his activities at the time line up. He yeah. was under too much, too many watchful eyes with between being in the military, right. everything else. So he would have had to have broken away from you guys and done whatever for, uh, I imagine, several hours, or at least a few hours, and then had to come back acting like nothing changed. Yeah, yeah I, not, I just don't see it. It's, yeah. I just don't see it. I don't even think like the male's brain is fully formed until they're like <laughs> 28 or 29 or something or 40. <laughs> but I know that he went to military school. I know he's, and people will say, well, he was trained. Like he's trained, he's trained. But how old is he? He's 24, 23? When the, I mean, come on. A lot uh, of people go in the military. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't mean that you're a criminal mastermind. It doesn't mean that you have suddenly taken advantage of the situation and you you're like 23 years old and you've thought out every single detail that has that has made you get away with something for 15 years well, again you think about what reason would he really have had to do it i mean if he was engaged to my sister and his family loved my sister and everything was lining up for them to you know they had their problems but what would what, what would his motives be i don't really understand you know you can break up with somebody <laughs> if you really feel that way but it didn't seem like that's where it was going so well, it didn't seem like they broke up, um, you know, from all the correspondence we know anyway. Yeah, and that's that's what I mean. It's, it just doesn't seem likely. It's, I don't see the motivation. I just don't I just don't see it. So much talk about, you know, well, they were broken up or they were about to break up or they had a rocky relationship. Who didn't have a rocky relationship in their late teens and early 20s? It's all rocky, yeah. and it's a long-distance relationship. It's all rocky. And you're going to screw up, but that doesn't mean that you've just like flown off the handle and you're you've lost your mind. Yeah, I mean, unless it's like like evidence, like a, like it was 
just to double back on this, like we know that there's no correspondence, no emails to meet up or no phone calls. We know there's no phone records because we've seen those burner phones. I, I suppose, again, that still could be a possibility. But if if they had talked, you know, the night that Mora crashed Fred's car, that was, I think, the last time they spoke on the phone that we know of. And that was like three in the morning or four in the morning or something like like really late. Like no one's hatching plans at that point like that. Well, that actually, was part of the plan. <laughs> yeah first accident right i mean it's just not it's yeah. just no one's hatching plans under those circumstances no i don't i definitely don't see it so after you uh met with everybody with with strelzen and everything and this is uh sort of directed towards you sarah being i guess somewhat of a newcomer to the whole the mm-hmm. whole uh disappearance and this whole um situation what was your what what were you expecting and what was your impression when you when you got out? Um, I think at that point I was just upset at the way the family was treated uh, because for me just basics that you're taught as a child you don't stand over someone you don't cross your arms you don't do these certain things so here I am just looking at them like wow basic compassion was not met here. Um, so when I walked outside, I had actually walked out ahead of them because I was worried they were going to start before the family made it outside the building, which they had. And so I immediately was met by a lot of the other people that had been involved in it. And they just looked heartbroken because Strelzen had already started and they just looked at me. And I think everyone was like kind of like, where's Fred? Everyone's biggest concern was, where is Fred? Is he OK? And so I was kind of met by all of them and then trying to listen to the press conference and the questions and I think I just grilled everyone and like looked them in the eyes like, are you telling me the truth? <laughs> so Strelzen delivered the information and then left the room and immediately did the press briefing. Correct. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of waiting and like gathering and coming out of the room. And I was just like, zoom and took off because I just felt like I wanted eyes on what was happening outside. Yeah. 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 Because we wanted to leave the building together as a family. So Julie was still talking to, I think, the victim advocate. And um, as soon as she came out, we went upstairs. I think one of the other things, like you guys didn't ask it, but one question that was asked in the room, we turned to the FBI agent out of Bedford and said, will the FBI now be taking over this case? And his response was, absolutely not. Yeah. And so that is something that people have mentioned. There's been talk about it on the pages and things like that. And people are like, well, are now the FBI going to take it? It, no. it sounds like a lot of personal animosity towards John, to be honest, that you guys are kind of dealing with. Like, uh, you know, like there, like you said, like, uh, John gets emotional sometimes. I think Strelzen sounds like he was emotional too. So he was a- acting a certain way, you know, but I think it sounds like a lot of this animosity is directed towards him specifically. Yeah. Not the family. Like, be- because he said, no, absolutely not. Because that's a response to the FBI petition. Who knows? I mean, I think in that case, that is a little speculation. Where is it directed? Because we can say right out the way we were treated was not appropriate. So how yeah. do we know that the animosity is only directed towards John if the behavior towards us was not that great? Yeah. Who knows? It's you a- don't know. Maybe you're giving him too much credit is all I'm trying to say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Who? Strelzen. It too could, much credit? Yeah, I think the animosity is more than just towards John Smith. It's I think probably... It's towards, I think it's just well, towards that, the case Well, that's in kind of what yeah. I'm getting at, though, but because you guys are close to John Smith, you know? Like, I think that might rub off. I'm not saying break off with him. I'm just saying... I'm just... Guilty by it, proxy. I mean, it, doesn't it seem like it? I mean, mm-hmm. it's all. it all seems directed towards him and, and not you guys. Like, they, why would they have animosity towards you guys? Well, I mean, if you even look at the documentary and the way Strauss was during that, yeah. it, it was still kind of standoffish and... Yeah. You know, it's just, it just seems like that's the general air about it, maybe because there's so much attention and, you know, there's been so much speculation and just so many different things that have come up with this. Maybe it's just that his ropes end with it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it's just, like I said, it's tough to have that kind of a feeling when the only thing we want as a family is to have our loved one back. Yeah. yeah. So if John's part of the problem, like what's the rest of the problem, I guess, is what I'm I'm trying to yeah. Right. It's saying you're part of the problem. Yeah. What's the rest? What's the rest yeah. of the problem? Yeah. Well, on the FBI thing, we, we've heard from numerous law enforcement uh, like officials, whether they're current or retired, that the FBI really doesn't do things like that. They don't get involved in something that's not that's not straightforward. They they just don't. Well, unless they're asked, they need to be they need to be asked. And, and basically, I guess that's why they were there. Well, then, yeah. So they were asked. And but they're not going to like they're not going to be directed to then investigate this because there's nothing there. Essentially, what we've been led to believe is that the FBI are a resource that can be employed at the request 
of the people investigating the case, mm-hmm. that they are not going to take the case right. completely. Yeah. And that's just not going to happen from, from all appearances. Right. But you don't have to have the answer delivered to you like absolutely not. Like you can you can you can. Why weren't you given that information when when that question came up? Why wasn't the answer? Well, the FBI has resources that they allocate in certain areas, and this does not fit the criteria of that area. We can ask them to come in, which we did today, and they came, but they do not take over a case because this, this, and this. Like, instead of absolutely not, it would be nice to get the information so that you can then come out as a family and say, I know there's been a big request for the FBI to get on the case, but the reason why they're not is because of this. And hearing it from the family would go so far to, to, to patch up any sort of like ill will between the community and law enforcement. And that could that could be part of the problem that Strelzen sees John as a front runner of. Like you are you're out there always saying police conspiracy, you know, we did it, we're doing it wrong, we're doing it wrong, and we're not, you know, living up to our end of, of the you know, of the fight here. If they just gave you the information in the beginning, you guys could properly distribute that information. And it could it could lessen that sort of heat yeah. that comes from the people that John Smith might be leading. And I mean, a lot of the problems that we've encountered recently and throughout this case result from a communications breakdown. It's, I mean, so much could be avoided if we had more transparency and more communication. And I think that's what we're trying to work on Great. because towards the end of getting, you know, bringing my sister home and our loved one home, we have to improve these things. What we've been doing hasn't led to a conclusion. So we need to change the way we're doing things. And that's a big part of it. And the uh, cold case unit has said that. They said almost those exact words that you said, that yeah. certain things happen and times change and we have to adjust to that and we have to figure out how we're going to now properly communicate and properly uh, handle the information that we're given. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Chuck West has alluded to that many times. And, you know, he's somebody that we're going to have to work with. We have to, because if you think about the history in this case and the fact that he's been running it for so long... There's nobody that's putting more hours in on it, probably anywhere, <laughs> than he has, you know. Um, yeah. And we just, we have to, you know, have a working relationship. It's it's just the only feasible way to get this thing resolved. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.